last week was Malachi, and the end of Malachi describes, and there will be this one who will come. And then there was, historically, like 400 years of silence. Does silence make you nervous? You feel like you probably need to say something there? That's the way I am. My my dad would tell me, um, and I appreciate the wisdom of this, my dad would say that you know you're with a good friend when the two of you can sit silently and just enjoy one another's company. I don't have a lot of friends, I guess. (laughs) Maybe it was that way of telling me, son, this is going to explain some things in your life. I just feel like I need to say something. It feels like something's not right in silence. Silence can feel like distance. Silence can actually feel, to a lot of us, like, like someone doesn't care. In, in silence, people usually say things like this, what's wrong? Why are you so quiet? It's, it's interesting that uh, that's how we describe the, the years between Malachi and Matthew. And really, it's, it's the beginning of Matthew and the beginning of Luke, those two Gospels that focus on the coming of Jesus Christ, that where we focus on this time of year. And the silence becomes broken. But if we're going to be honest, if we go back and we look at it, I don't know if you've been walking down this hallway here, but we put up the timeline that Ryan drew and that, that Drew and, and Natalie were kind of narrating as, as we went through that last series that we did. Um, just looking at it, at the timeline, I had to admit, there's lots of times where, the, where God has been what we call silent, right? We call it that. We, basically, all we're saying is that God chose in his sovereignty and his goodness to just not talk all the time, to not always speak through prophets. But don't ever read like his silence as if like somehow he was on vacation or unaware of what was going on in the world. The Samuel prophet probably writing down the events in in 1 Samuel, records this, that in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. You think about it. I mean, from Noah's time into Abraham's time, probably thousands of years pass. There's really not a lot. Those are just a few chapters in the book of Genesis. And thousands of years go by, and what it looks like to us with the recorded um, information that we have from the Bible, it just looks like silence. And again, it's something wrong about us that somehow reads that silence as though God is somehow not present or not caring or not active. And those things just aren't true. And that's what happens today in Luke chapter 1 when all of a sudden, that's where we'll be, Luke 1, all of a sudden the angel appears. The angel appears and he begins to speak. And he draws some very interesting points. What we're going to do is we're going we're to hear the words of an angel this morning. And I want to be careful on a couple of fronts. Number one, like, I, w- I want us to make sure that we understand these are words that were spoken by Gabriel the angel to Zechariah, who is a priest, and the r- corresponding information that his wife Elizabeth is going to need to hear. And then Mary. Those are the two encounters that are going to happen in Luke chapter 1, where God breaks this silence, where God fulfills the promise to his people, and he does it by way of a messenger. Now, angels are something that really kind of capture some people's fascination, not necessarily mine. 
I've not been one of those guys that absolutely loves angels and sees an angel in every encounter. I don't know how angels work. Um, they're often in the Bible mis- misinterpreted or mis- mis- uh, mislabeled, mis- misunderstood as, uh, as people. And so we know that they can at many times look a lot like us. But there also seems to be some pretty amazing um, power in their presence because as we're going to see between Mary and Zechariah, the response is kind of overwhelming. The word angel, angelos in the Greek, actually just means messenger. It just means someone who comes and speaks. That's why when the Apostle Paul says, if, if I or someone else comes, an angel, a messenger, we don't know if he really means like an angel, but he kind of goes along the idea of an angel of light. But if even an angel comes and tries to tell you something other than what the gospel declares, then let that angel be accursed. You do know that there are good angels and bad angels, according to the Bible. We call the bad angels what? Demons. Um, Lucifer was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Actually, and that's not even really his name. We give him that name, but actually that's... Kind of a long story short, we know him as, as, as devil and we know him as Satan, but those words mean liar, accuser. So we really don't know his name per se, but we do know that um, who we know as Lucifer or Satan or the devil um, decided that what he wanted to do was instead of being a messenger, he wanted glory to go to him. He wanted to be recognized for his beauty and instead of recognizing that God made him, God made him for a purpose. He tried to take that and steal that and, and use it for his own purposes. We, we do know that, that Jesus never um, put on angelic beingness. We don't know what that is. I can't say use the word flesh, but he didn't like incarnate into an angel to redeem the angelic beings. And so for some reason, in God's wisdom, as far as we know, like God did not redeem them. So what is man that God is mindful of him, the son of man that, that, that he would care for us? I believe this is why the angels, it says in 1 Peter, that the angels look into the good news that comes at Christmas time, that comes in Jesus Christ, and they epithumia. It's a, it's a word that is sometimes translated, they lust. They look into the good news, the gospel, and they just, oh man, I wish we could have some of that. I wish God would love us like that. That's what angels think. I also love one of my favorite angel encounters in the Bible is actually um, in the book of Revelation when John sees this angel and he just knows to fall down before the angel and I would argue wrongly knows to fall down and he falls down and the angel kind of, you know, in my mind, he kind of looks around and goes, hey, get up. Like I'm just an angel. (laughs) Like I know I look pretty amazing but that's actually not of my doing. It's not of my ability um, all of these, everything that you see here is a gift from God, and God is the only one that deserves to be worshipped. I'm, I'm just a messenger like you, John. Like, I'm just a created being like you, John, and so get up. And then it says this, worship God, which is the theme of the book of Revelation. Don't ever be seduced into worshiping something other than God. So that's what angels do. And the angel in today's account, is his name is Gabriel. We know of Gabriel and we know of Michael. Those are the only ones we really know by name. And Gabriel appears in the book of Daniel and then reappears here. And he's come with a message. And so this is how Luke records it, beginning in verse 5. After giving his um, desire for the the audience of his book, his name is Theophilus. So Luke, the writer, writing to a a Roman 
military official named Theophilus, meaning that word name means actually God lover. And he wants him to know about Jesus. And then he decides, I want to begin at the very beginning. And I want to write a detailed account. I want you to understand the history. I want you to know when this happened. I want you to know what was going on around it. Jumps in at verse, um, at verse 5 of Luke 1. And in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. So both of them actually come from a priestly line. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. Now, listen, when you hear that, that they walked righteously before God, the Bible describes people as righteous in the Bible. Like it it does, it describes Noah as a righteous man, the only righteous one in Genesis chapter 6. So the Bible will describe people as righteous, but hear me, that doesn't mean they were perfect. Even when it says here, walking blamelessly, it really means that he was committed to following the law. And that when he failed in following the law, he did what the law required. So don't read perfect here. Zechariah, the priest, and Elizabeth, his wife, were good people. They still needed a savior. They still needed something to bridge the the gap, the gulf, the, the separation between them and God. And that is why God is on the move. That's why God is now stepping into time again, why God has sent a messenger, because uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth want you to know you're doing very well, by the way. You're doing very, very well, but never forget, you still need me for absolutely everything. Do you see that? So this is why we gotta be really careful, like believing somehow that so-and-so is righteous and doesn't really need God as much as. No, the Bible actually never teaches that at all. The Bible actually teaches that the best of which Zechariah and Elizabeth could ever do is still much, completely in need of God's kindness and his grace. It says in verse 7, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they both were advanced in years, a little bit like Abraham and Sarah. Verse 8, now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot, which means, come on, seven, okay? The casting of lots literally would be a lot like playing dice, not, not for money, but to find out who. Who's the one that's going to be selected? It's, it's very interesting that when you look at the Bible, there's a lot of this. And it's not because God somehow is going, well, I wonder who's going to come up. This will be interesting. I can't wait to see this. They actually choose an apostle by casting lots. They find out that Achan was the one that actually sinned in the Old Testament by casting lots. So this is a way in which, by the way, God works. Don't know exactly how he works, but God is working. And I love the idea that, that, that Zechariah and Elizabeth are going through life trying to be faithful to God. And then he decides, out of his sovereignty, out of his kindness, to reach down into their small little lives and to make a difference. What looks like casting lots is so much deeper and so much richer. He was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him, this is Zechariah, the angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. Now, I I know this analogy isn't perfect, but no analogies are. But have have you ever had that moment when you're driving and then you see the lights in the rearview mirror and you get pulled over? 
Like very seldom do I go, oh, I wonder what they want. Like, oh, this is going to be great. I mean, I, truly, like, I, I very much appreciate and respect the, 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 the officers that, that keep our, uh, our community and myself safe. And when they pull me over, my heart is racing. I haven't robbed a bank. I haven't done, I mean, really, it's not like I think I'm going to, for whatever reason, my heart just gets going. Now, sometimes, actually, majority of times they pull me over and it's because I've been doing something wrong. But I've had them. I mean, they've never just wished me, you know, Merry Christmas or anything, but... I've had them say things like, hey, by the way, do you know your taillight's not working? Hey, do you know that your brake light, your, your lamp, your, that little light in the back, you know, that they added years ago um, for some reason? And you might be wondering, why are your lights so messed up? I have no idea. I'm not a mechanic. But they're, they're offering me, like, you know, hey, and by the way, like, I, I know you're driving a little fast. I'm just going to give you a warning now. Thank you, officer. Appreciate that. Why is my heart race so? Angels seem to have that response in the Bible, don't they? Like, why is it that when someone of great authority comes, our first response is, what's wrong? They're deeply troubled. But maybe because of their presence, maybe because of, um, and this is important, who they represent. And Zechariah knows enough, and maybe doesn't know enough, that he's just afraid. And he speaks. Gabriel does. And listen to what he says. Verse 13, do not be afraid. So it's interesting. And he doesn't say, don't be afraid because you're a righteous person. And so God doesn't even have any bad stuff on you. He doesn't say that. He says, do not be afraid. And then look at what, the reason why. For your prayer has been heard. Think about that prayer. Talk about silence. Yahweh God. Actually, they wouldn't even say the word Yahweh. Um, they, they, Adonai, they would call him. Adonai, we, we want a child. We want a child so desperately. We, we, we want like someone to carry on our name. We want someone to help take care of us when we're old. We want someone um, that, 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 just, that we can love and care for. Probably just a mixed bag of reasons, but we just want a child. We want a child, we want a child, we want a child. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. Well, wait a second, you know, they're noble people. They're righteous people. They didn't pray a selfish prayer like we want a child. They were praying things like, Lord, we would like world peace. Lord, we, we want to pray for our enemies today because that's the way that, actually, Jesus hasn't even come and given that great insight. They could have understood it from the Old Testament, but I really don't know. I'm sure they had noble prayers, but it's interesting. Gabriel says, your prayer has been answered. And guess what he's going to be promising here in a moment? That your wife is pregnant. That's interesting to me. I don't know what you think about God, and Ryan told me last week that I needed to, I was listening, that I needed to recognize the character of God. Here's something that is kind of tied in within his, within his character. God responds to us. Just think about that for a moment. Like God responds to us. And not because he has to. Um, he, he doesn't owe Elizabeth and Zechariah anything. No, nobody can force him into it. Nobody can strong arm him into it. God just naturally responds to his creation. Is that not amazing? Is that not something to remember and to be merry about, to celebrate this Christmas season, that God would actually respond to us? We've had a couple of podcasts recently on this idea of prayer, and I, I think it is so important for us to, 
to grow in our understanding of what prayers look like. Um, pe- people know how to, to feel bad about maybe not praying the, the greatest and most loftiest of prayers. Sometimes we're, we're caught and we're trapped. I, I know I shouldn't be praying for this. I even feel selfish praying it. But I, kind, I, w- I would just like, God, would you please? I just feel bad even saying it. I'm not even going to say it. I'm only going to think it. Like that's going to change it, right? Like don't, don't say it out loud. Just think it. Like somehow God won't find that out. Have you ever? Have you ever wrestled with this? Remember my sister Diana a little while ago, like wanting bad things to happen to Todd? Like, Diana, it's not what you say. He already knows it's in your heart. And by the way, he knew it was in your heart before Todd stole your toast, right? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. It's a couple weeks ago. There is something about this prayer life that I would even encourage you. This is Jim's word, not the Lord's, but I would encourage you to, to pray, not just selfish prayers, but to speak honestly before a God who responds. So a couple of years ago, I won't say who it is because he doesn't coach here anymore, but Travis was, um, and so I was in his office, and uh, he attended here, and we developed a, a friendship, and uh, we would meet, and we would talk occasionally, and I, I remember that night, um, it was like, I think they were playing KU, and uh, I, I said at the end of my time, I said, hey, do you mind if I pray before I go? And he said, no, that'd be great. And so, you know, there was really no meeting, just we were just getting together to talk about life, and I said, hey, I'm going I'm to pray, and, and so I did, and I just, I prayed the way I usually pray. Um, I, I pray kind of like the thoughts that are on my head. And so if you don't mind, my prayer went something like this. Like, God, um, you know how much I don't like KU. And uh, I don't get that rock, shock, chalk, whatever it is. And, um, and honestly, I, like, I, I really hope, like I, I live in this town and I really love the Cowboys and I like my friend here, Travis, and I'd like to see success. And, and I'm saying this, really, genuinely praying to God. I'm not talking to Travis, I'm talking to God. And then as I continued through this prayer, this has happened many, many times with me. And God, after I said that, because it's been on my heart, it just sounds so small. But I don't want to hide that from you. You know that's in my heart. And so God, help us see bigger things. Help us see that even on this other team, there are men that, that need you. And, and I just kept talking. And I just, because I'm having a conversation with God and Travis is listening. And God, you know this is our prayer. You know this is what we want. You know, honestly, like, let's not lie right now, Travis. You know we want to win tonight. I have no idea if that's why he had such great success against KU. That'd be another sermon. But um, I, I, I would say that prayer, and it was by the time we were done, it was just this mixture of God, we're broken people, and I don't know what you're going to do with this prayer, but we really do leave it in your hands. Amen. And one of the reasons why I pray like that is because I, I don't want to hide anything from him. I don't want to, I don't know what he's going to do. I just know every time he does it, it's right. Think about that. I'm going to leave it in his hands. God, I, I don't know what you're going to do with this. I can't hide my thoughts and my feelings from you. I'm just going to, I'm going to take them to you, but I'm going to submit them to you. And this is what Zechariah and Elizabeth did. Now, this is the beauty of it. So Zechariah and Elizabeth just want a baby. I have no idea if their motives were pure. I have no idea why God exactly did this, but God reaches down and he says, you can have one. I I don't know if God said this, but I don't know if you, can you imagine God saying, I I don't know if you've read like Malachi lately, but that last little bit describes someone who's going to come and that's the child that you were praying for. Do you think Zechariah and Elizabeth had any idea that's what they were praying for when they were praying for a little baby? They had no idea. 
But who did? God did. That God would respond to us just absolutely makes me um, wonder at how good and marvelous he is. Well, the angel doesn't leave it there. The angel continues. Gabriel says something else in verses 15 and 16. Gabriel speaks this truth into Zechariah's life, and then it filters down to ours. Here's the second thing he says. This, he says, he will, speaking of John the Baptist, that's who the child's going to be, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. That is what the blending of Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayer and God's ultimate plan of sending his son is that one is going to come before Jesus, It's going to come before the Messiah, who's going to point to the Messiah and direct people to the Messiah and his name is John and he's going to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. We see this repeatedly when angels or God speak or when God just acts that when God engages us, when he responds to us, he sends the spirit to do his work through us. Think about that. It's good for us to remember that the spirit actually works through us. Now, when I say that, don't think like he's limited to that. No, he's not. He's not limited to anything. It's the spirit of God. It blows wherever it chooses, Jesus says in John 3 but that it would choose to work through us, that it would choose to work through John. Now, when the Holy Spirit works, what does it do? And what the Holy Spirit does in the Bible is it empowers people. It comes upon Moses and empowers him. It comes upon Samson and empowers him to do the work that God wants them to do. It draws people back to him. That's what this little boy, that they're gonna name John, even though no one else in the family has got that name, you will name him John. And he is going to be someone who is going to draw the people back. That's what God does. That when God begins to interact with us, how God works and what God does, and this is, I think, one of the big reasons why many of my prayers seem like they're not answered or seems like they're misdirected, it's often because they are. They are misdirected. That, That somehow they end up with the glory of me or the plans of me instead of drawing back to who God is about what God desires about what God wants but when the Holy Spirit comes upon John and by the way this guy's amazing Jesus says of all the people born of a woman okay which is everyone who's ever been born John is the greatest sorry Abraham second at best Moses Well, you'll have to talk to Abraham or talk to God. I don't know which one of you is better. Daniel, maybe like fifth. Joseph, like ninth. John, number one. And what does he get to do? His primary purpose, his purpose is to draw people's attention back to God. And honestly, that's that's, that's what, what this whole season is really about. This whole Christmas season, I believe that as, as much as it can be commercialized, as, as much as it can be um, kind of like just cheesy, the real truth is, is that all of it, it's goodness, it's the difficulty sometimes of, 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 of this time of year, all of it has an opportunity to point us through the power of the Spirit back to Him. Like, God, what, what is it that you're trying to accomplish so Andrea says, hey, what do you guys want to eat for Christmas? Because we get, we get everybody this year, okay? It's kind of fun. 
What do you want to eat for Christmas? And so this chain of text begins, you know. I want ham. Well, but I bought a deep fryer, you know, something that I can burn my house down with. So I've got this, um, I've got this, this deep, I, I, want to, I want to do a turkey. So now we've got ham and turkey. And then I, I got this really nice smoker, and honestly, pork shoulder sounds pretty good too. So now we've got ham, turkey, and pork. And then my, my son, who became a hunter for some strange reason, killed some ducks. I apologize to the duck people, but he killed some ducks. And so he's going to do something with some ducks. So we're going to have duck and turkey and ham and pork. God is good. Like I'm telling you, honestly, this is, Paul says this in the Bible. Hear me, I'm not just trying to excuse something. Paul says that everything that God gives is good and should be received with thanksgiving and pleasure. Now, do we have too much turkey? Maybe. Do we have too much pork? Yes, we should share. But you know what we should do even before we share is just give thanks to God. See, this is what it's designed to do. It's designed to draw us back. This is what the Spirit does. It turns our hearts, like John with his preaching, the coming of Jesus Christ is going to draw us back into, and it happens through good things. You'll have a baby. You know, you'll have a baby. Did you realize that God didn't have to do that? God didn't have to answer Elizabeth's prayer? He chose to. Why? Because he loves her. And you're going to have a baby, Elizabeth. You don't think she was just ecstatic? So much that we can just be thankful for, but we're thankful to God for this. All the good. And then there's just hard. I'm really not looking forward to Christmas because I just can't believe they're not here this year. How do I keep the silence from building into resentment? It's been three years that I've had to do this alone. But it could be an opportunity. And I'm not just trying to look on the other side. I'm trying to understand God's cosmic plan in all of this. Even the coming of John the Baptist is, you, you realize that not everyone's going to turn. Not everyone's going, another word for that turn is to repent. Not everyone's going to repent. And to be able to stop and instead of counting the years without, to count the years with, to count the time with, and instead of just complaining about the commercialization of Christmas, to just be thankful for what God has given. Is that not what Hear me, I'm not saying that's what Christmas is all about. But is that not how the Spirit is at work this Christmas? You know, we just prayed for a moment, like, God, reveal yourself to me. You don't think he desires that in all of it, all of the excitement and all of the joy and all of the celebration, and then some of the loss and some of the pain, you don't think he wants to be in that with you? To bring meaning and purpose and perspective in the middle of all of that for you? to reach down into your life, to help explain that he really does love and he really does care, even though the silence may have you believe something else. So grateful that the Spirit chooses to work through us and through all of our circumstances. Lastly, Gabriel says to Zechariah, 
And this might be one of the reasons why he was terrified. He said this, I stand in the presence of God. This is Gabriel speaking. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Like I was just there and now I'm here. I mean, I know this stuff firsthand. This isn't I intercepted some email or some crazy text. This is I was standing in the presence of the God of the universe, the God who is, and he told me to share this good news with you. Can you get the excitement in that? And what we see here is that God responds to us, continues to work through his spirit because God is going to be like Melissa shared. I thought she did such a great job in her communion meditation that God is going to be faithful to himself, that he's not just tying up loose ends or connecting dots or giving us moral examples, but he's active and alive. Like, do you know that? Like, do you live in recognition of that? That right now, this Christmas season, as you're kind of going through the motions, he is more real and more alive. That he is weaving these things together for his glory for others' benefit, and hopefully for your joy and peace. That's what God does, and we really need, at times, we just need a messenger to come and to remind us of these things. And, and we really can. We can look back and see what this messenger said to Gabriel, this messenger said to Zechariah, what Gabriel said to him, and realize that that message, since it's about Jesus, since it's about this amazing good news and the continued work of the Spirit, which, by the way, by the time Jesus is done, he's going to give it to all of us. Is that not amazing? That he responds to prayer? That this is who his character is? That this is how you and I head into this Christmas season? Well, um, Zechariah is not the only one that gets a, a visit. This next one who comes is Mary. Um, and, and, and just an amazing encounter, as you, as you know, Mary is someone who is young and someone who is about to be married, and then all of a sudden, in comes Gabriel. We're going to jump down to verse 24, still in Luke 1, and we're going to see this encounter very similar to what happens with Zechariah, and yet there are some differences as well. Verse 24, after these days, so this is after the Zechariah-Elizabeth things happen, surprise, surprise, when God says it, it happens. His wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. And then in the sixth month, so a month later, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. So we've got the house of Aaron from the tribe of Levi, and now we've got from the house of David, from the tribe of Judah, and the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one. That's kind of an amazing response. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now you know how people respond to angels by now, right? Mary freaks out. Why are you here? Lights in the mirror, pull over, stay calm, keep your hands still, right? Why are you here? And, and notice how the angel responds. Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. I, I've read that a million times. I could have probably almost quoted that to you. Um, I've, I've been spending a lot of time this week with the weight of that statement. What do you think about God? 
Is he hard to please? You know, because he is holy. And I, I can say he's holy. I can say he's holy, holy, holy. And that, that, still doesn't, that still doesn't explain the fullness of how holy he is. That God is righteous. I mean, any word that I use to describe him just falls short for the fullness of who he is. And if you were to ask me, is he hard to please? Oh, yeah. Like none of us can. None of us can please him. Do you believe you can please God? Now, now hear me. If you're talking about the kind of pleasing where somehow he owes us, (laughs) somehow like um, we got him in our back pocket and he is our bellhop to take care of our bags, No, nothing like that. But notice what he says. Like if you read the Bible, you don't have to even read between the lines. God seems to be very pleased with David. God seems to be very pleased with Noah. God seems to be very pleased with Abram. God seems to be very pleased with many people in the Bible. So where did I get this idea that God was almost impossible to please? Like I don't know. I just, I don't know if I got that from Scripture. The Bible actually describes God as being quick to forgive, quick to love. God is slow to anger. That if you go back and you actually read the account, like when Adam and Eve failed and they walked off, the next one to speak is God. Where are you? He pursues them. He didn't have to. He didn't have to. Why did he do this? So when I say this, I, I need you to kind of think like really intentionally through this. I, I, I think I can honestly say like God is pleased with us. I, I, I can't explain Christmas any other way. Because I can't believe that what, what God was doing with Mary was finally he found someone righteous enough. He was waiting for someone to come along and her parents raised her right, good Christian girl. No, couldn't be Christian. Good Jewish girl. You think that's what happened? Or do you think God had to, no matter who, that God had to find pleasure in them, not because of them, but because of him? God finds pleasure in us, not because we're awesome, but because he is. You know that? That's why God finds pleasure with you. That's why you can enjoy Christmas. It doesn't make him small. I would argue it makes him big. That God doesn't sit in the corner and, hey, you're going to have to find me and you're the one that messed up and I'm going to sit over here and you know what? You don't deserve me. You know what? We don't deserve him. But he deserves us. He wanted us. And that's why the angels are absolutely amazed at this incredible good news where God would put on flesh to fix the broken relationship that we broke. Merry Christmas. Think about that. That God is in fact pleased with us. Now how can he do that because of him? And how can he do that because of Jesus? And how can he do that because of all that Jesus is? Oh Mary, did you know? (laughs) No, she had no idea. She needed an angel to come tell her and then she needed Jesus to live all of that out. Now she knows. Boy, it's amazing how we just don't really understand all that Christmas is about, do we? The angel has one last thing to say. The angel says this in verse 35. And the Holy Spirit will come. Notice how much Gabriel speaks of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you. 
and therefore the child to be born. Not John, that's another child, that's just, that's a normal child. Now this is a totally, actually called John a normal child is a little bit of a weird statement, but still a normal child in comparison to this child. This child that's going to be born will be called holy for it is the son of God. Now, so far, everything that we've talked about, that God responds to us and the Spirit works through us and God is faithful. We talked about that God is actually pleased with us. Like, all of those really can have, in a sense, this understanding that, 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 that we have this role to play. And, and right now, and this is the best part of Christmas, is that the best part of Christmas is more than we have a role to play, we have a gift to receive. Can I just be honest? What I love about Christmas the most is getting stuff. I'm just going to be honest. I know I'm probably the only one in the room. I love getting stuff. Always have, actually. It's been a part of my nature from the beginning. God knew that. God made me that way. Now, hopefully, I I love to get stuff so much that I really enjoy giving it away, too. But notice what he says here. Is Mary, more than I need something for you to do. Zechariah, more than I need something for you to do. I've got good news for you. I've got good news. I've heard your prayer and I've answered it better than you've ever understood. I've got great news for you, Mary. Like, I'm giving you something that you need, actually. And by the way, Mary needed Jesus as bad as anyone did. Did you know that? John the Baptist needed Jesus as bad as anybody did. We all need Jesus so bad, do we not? then isn't Christmas great? (laughs) Like, isn't Christmas awesome? The food is good. The presents are, thanks for trying. That was cute. (laughs) I love the idea of that. I would have have gone a little bit of a different direction, but you know what? Thanks, son. I really appreciate it, right? You know that's going to happen. But God is with us. That's what really is Christmas is all about. And you and I have this incredible privilege, this incredible opportunity because we know what Christmas is all about. So we can eat well. We can fellowship well, even in awkward situations. We can actually bring a level of intentionality, almost like we're messengers, angels, so to speak. Not in our nature, but by being sent. Maybe you and I, if we can truly understand the depth and the breadth and the width of what Christmas is all about, we can actually not only enjoy it, but help spread the amazing joy that can only be found in Jesus Christ with those that we spend time with this Christmas. Peace that can only be experienced in Jesus Christ this Christmas. And so that's why we say, Merry Christmas. And then if we're really careful and intentional, we can just think, wow, I just have no idea how merry and grateful and excited and uh, um, intentional I should be in light of all of what God has done for us. Is that not good news? That's Christmas. Let's pray. So God, I thank you for this angel that came and spoke, and it was a privilege. 
that the day that I meet Gabriel, <laughs> um, no matter what I'm tempted to do, will, will pale in comparison to the day when I see you. That all he can do is speak about what you have already spoken without your will and purpose. He's got nothing to say. And because of you, he brings great news. He brings joy and peace to us who are far from you. And so God, I thank you for every aspect of Christmas, all the complicated parts, all the painful parts, all the joyful parts, all the what can even seem to me as like selfish parts. May I give those to you. May I share those with others. God, you don't need us. But in, in your mercy, you've chosen us. And we just want to say thank you. Thank you. And it's all because of Jesus. And God's people said, amen. Let me tell you about what's happening um, seven days from now, because it'll be the 24th. It'll be Christmas Eve. And we started something last year. I don't know how well we'll be able to pull this off, because it just seems to fit really well if the Sunday is the 25th or maybe even the 24th. But we had breakfast together last year as a church. And really, we're not asking, it's not even a potluck. It's just show up for breakfast. And we're going to be in the gym celebrating Christmas next year. And so if you want to come for breakfast, 8.30 is when we're going to start serving it. And we would love for you to come just for us to celebrate that kind of, but an hour or so before our service starts. One service next week. Um, and it is going to be at 10 o'clock and it'll be in the gymnasium, 10 o'clock in the gym. Breakfast at 8.30, would love, love, love for you and your family to come. Last year, the kids came, some of them did, actually in pajamas and sat at tables with other families. And so it was just a good time. If you would like that to be a part of, uh, of, of your Christmas Eve morning, we would love to share that with you. And then we're going to be having our uh, traditional Christmas Eve service. That'll be at six o'clock next Saturday evening. And so that's when we, we don't have, we won't have services on Monday, which is... Uh, the 25th and Christmas Day, but we will be having a service at 10 o'clock, breakfast at 8.30, and then our Christmas Eve service at 6 o'clock, and that will be in here. We hope that you will come and be a part of all of those things. If we do, we'll see you then. If not, merry, 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 merry Christmas. Love you guys. God bless.